The reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh no, not again. No, not me preaching. <laughs> oh no, not again. I wonder how many of us uh, have uttered those words in frustration or maybe despair this week. Oh no, not again. Why did I say it? Why, why did I say it and use that graceless tone and, and manner again? Why did I give in to that thought, that desire that, that I, I, I didn't really want to, but just wasn't strong enough not to? Again. How is it that despite my best intentions and, and prayer, I have failed to do what was good for me, what would have been good for my family, for those around me, and I've taken the easy route out again. These are the struggles that we all face, aren't they? Sometimes, though, the struggle isn't just what we say or do, but it's also in what we believe. I don't know how you've been finding these times in in 1 John, but as you've gone through these words over these last few weeks, uh, these words that are penned by one of Jesus' closest followers, uh, and you've, you've gone through them, you've been listening to them, and time and again you've been urged to love God and to love each other. You've been warned against loving the world, you've been reminded to behave in, in, in godly ways, and against that backdrop, the accumulated experience of saying, Oh no, not again. It's caused you to question. Am I really a Christian? Why can't I love my brothers and sisters more like Jesus did, more like Jesus tells me to do? How can I feel such animosity, dare I say, how can I feel such hatred towards someone else who is supposed to be my brother? Or sister and whom I should love dearly. Friends, if any of this is you, then let me say this this morning. You are not alone. You're not alone in this. This is the struggle that we all face. 
from time to time, yes, and in and varying degrees, yes, but we all face this struggle. And what we desperately need is, is confidence and, and reassurance as we do so. How fantastic then that God has seen uh, fit to include verses 19 to 24 of 1 John 3 in his word. Because in these verses is more of the confidence that we all need to meet the struggle uh, that we all face. So let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that this letter John wrote is part of your inspired word to us. And we ask this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts to the truth that is contained within it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, uh, if you were with us uh, last week, you will recall that we finished by seeing how John describes true brotherly love. If you remember that, um, he describes it as a love that is self-sacrificial, it's life-giving, it's, it's generous, it, it's compassionate, it's practical, it's authentic, it's, it's true, it's all these things. And of course, none of us are uh, those things 100% of the time, are we? We're, we're just not. We all have moments when we mistreat each other. True, we may not be as bad as Cain, who we were reminded about last week, Cain who literally butchered his brother, but we're certainly nowhere near the mark of Jesus. We ebb and flow between those two extremes, if you like, hopelessly inconsistent. Sometime more like Jesus, yes. Sadly, more often than not, though, more like Cain. But John uh, knows this. He knows that his readers need to be reminded that we're not made right with God by what we do, but by faith in in Jesus. Um, And so he writes, and this is my first point uh, this morning, he writes to reassure their hearts. Take a look at verse 19. If you've got your Bible with you, I hope you have. This would be a good time to open it. Go back to to 1 John 3, whether that's a a physical Bible or something on on a a device. Do open it up at 1 John 3. And I'm reading now from verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So friends, for all those who are tired of saying, oh no, (laughs) not again. All those who are fed up with behaving more like Cain and not like Christ, pay close attention to what is coming. John wants to tell us how to set our hearts at rest in the Lord's presence. To put it differently, he wants to show us how we can reassure our hearts, persuade them, if you like, that despite our failures, we do belong to the truth. So verse 20, um, if our hearts uh, condemn us, Actually, the, the NIV probably isn't, isn't the best translation here. A more accurate translation would be when, not if, or, or whenever. So whenever our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater. He's greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. In other words, are you going to listen to yourself, your fallen self, condemning you, for yet another failure? Or are you going to listen to God 
and choose to believe him? Are you going to listen to him who is greater, him who is more powerful, more truthful, more holy, more just? Are you going to listen to him who is perfect and all-knowing when he tells you that if you believe and trust in him, your sins are forgiven? Past, present, and future. When, when you came to me, God says, when you came to faith in me, did you not realize that I knew everything? I forgave you, knowing full well that you would fail me for the umpteenth time in 2021 or in new ways in 2021. I knew those times were coming. If your heart condemns you, John says, you need to apply the objective knowledge of God's word to silence the doubts of your heart. How can we condemn that which God has declared righteous? That's nuts, isn't it? That's nuts. But you may say, yeah, yeah, but you don't know what I did. You don't know actually how, just how like Cain I have been recently. You don't know that. And John would say, no, no, no. He'd say, look at the direction of travel of your life. Look at the totality of it. Don't look at isolated incidents, however frequent or however similar they may be. Do you remember uh, last week I said that John seems to be far more interested in our direction of our tra- in, in the direction of travel, our direction of travel, than he does seem to be with perfection in it. Because we're all, I said, on one of two pathways. We're either going tracking more towards God or we're tracking away from God. One of the, one of the two. And we're, yes, we may be tracking towards God imperfectly. And the danger of reading 1 John, John uh, sometimes is that we fail to see that. We fail to see that we're either on one trajectory or the other. And so when John appears to speak in, in absolutes, we can begin to question our very salvation. And John would say, no, no. The very fact that you are concerned enough to question your salvation is evidence of the Spirit's work in your life, moving you forwards on that pathway towards God and not away from him. That very, the very fact that you question, the very fact that you are remorseful and say, oh, no, not again. The fact that you wish things were different, it's all evidence of your direction of travel. And so, whenever our hearts condemn us, we know, we remember, we remember the truth, we apply our minds and we tell ourselves that. We know that God is greater than our hearts, John says, and he knows everything. You know, these uh, not-again moments are actually wonderful opportunities that are given to us to allow our hearts to be warmed uh, again by the gospel. Because the truth is that nothing we do deserves God's love. Nothing we do deserves his mercy. Nothing we do deserves forgiveness. In fact, our rebellion and our actions deserve his judgment and separation from him, a separation that left unchecked will remain forever. But in grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, there's our salvation. We deserve death. And he gave us life. God is greater. This is the gospel. This is the good news. 
The question, how, is, how do we reassure our hearts? The answer, by reminding ourselves that God is greater and the gospel is good news. These are gospel opportunities. But don't miss, though, where that uh, reminding takes place. Look again at verse 20. Verse 20 says, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. In other words, reassurance comes through time in God's word and when we speak to him in prayer. It is in his presence. And this is our second main point, main heading this morning, the blessing of reassured hearts. Take a look at verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That is confidence to come before him in prayer. And here, John begins to mount up the blessings uh, for us. Because not only um, is the blessing of a reassured heart a blessing in itself, you know, through the provision of, 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 of peace, of an untroubled conscience, if you like, what a gift that is. But it also provides the blessing of access. Access to Almighty God. The one who we've just been told is greater. He is the, the creator of all the sovereign ruler, the sustainer, the, the all-powerful one, the, the all-knowing one, the one who is everywhere. And the fact is that because of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, you and I have the blessing of direct access to him. And amazingly, this access isn't given begrudgingly. It's not access that we need to be wary about. No, we come confidently. What a blessing that is. Not only that, though, take a look as these blessings pile up at the end of verse 21 again. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Verse 22, and we receive from him anything we ask. So not only do we have the confidence of, of, of unlimited and confident access, but we're also told we will receive answers to the prayers that we say when we come confidently before him. How does all of this sound? How does it sound? Most of us here are, are Christians, and, and I hope that our hearts are being reassured uh, this morning and that we're, we're grateful for these blessings. Uh, but maybe you're here and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe, although you come along to, to St. John's and, and or you're watching um, on, online, You've not really committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ yet. If that is you, can I ask, how does the blessing of an untroubled heart sound? How does the blessing of a heart that doesn't condemn you sound? Do you not like to get access to the one who is in charge of everything and, and, and to get answers back from him? That is possible. It really is possible. But there are a few words of warning here. So let's just have a look at them. First, let John complete his sentence in the letter. Take a look at verse 22 if you're following through. We receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. The blessing of answered prayer, it turns out, is conditional. 
And it's conditional on our obedience to God's commands and doing that which pleases him. That's the first word of warning. Second word of warning, the fact that answered prayer is conditional doesn't mean that it is transactional. What do I mean by that? Prayer not being transactional. I mean that prayer isn't a case of earning credits by, by doing good things and then cashing in those credits to, to, do, uh, to get what we want. You know, Lord, I've, I've got that um, coveting under control. I've been obedient to you in that area. I'm not, I'm not coveting as much. Can I, have a, can I have a million quid, Lord? You know, therefore, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cash that in somehow. Uh, Lord, I've, I've, I've kept my cool with the kids today. I, 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 I was angry, but I didn't let it lead me into sin. I, I, you know, I kept it under control. Please, can we have that holiday that we've been uh, hanging out for? It doesn't work like that. Our obedience isn't currency to be cashed in when we want something from God. That's not what John is saying. Prayer is about access to the God who we've just heard is greater. And so first and foremost, prayer is about God. It's not about us. Prayer is about God's plans. It's about his will, not ours. It's about his glory, his righteousness. It's about his will, his, his justice. And then it's about our aligning with that and our abiding in him. It's about relationship. God first. And then either X will follow or it won't. And that's okay, because we're abiding in God, we're praying according to his will, and God is good, and God is in control. So whether we are praying for that trivial thing, you know, that car parking space as we rush into town, whatever it might be, at one end of the spectrum, or we're praying, you know, on the life-changing end of the spectrum, we've been praying for years for somebody's salvation, the salvation of someone's soul. And whether we're praying for anything or sort of on the spectrum between, between those things, our prayers will be answered because ultimately our prayers will be aligned to the one we are in relationship with. Don't forget Jesus' words. Do you remember his words? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. This is an extraordinary statement. <laughs> Jesus says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Surely these are, again, more words of Jesus that are in John's mind as he writes this part of his letter. When we have confidence before God, John writes, and receive from him anything, uh, we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. So what are the commands that we need to keep uh, for that assurance? Well, my short, flippant answer would be all of them. <laughs> but John, uh, no, John provides something more uh, helpful, more insightful, uh, more profound than that, because he summarizes. And he summarizes the obedience that leads to assurance, faith and love. Take a look at verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded. Simples, one command to obey, two parts. Part one, believe. Believe Jesus, believe in the name of Jesus. Part two, love one another as Jesus has loved us. We were looking at that last week. 
What does it mean then to, to believe? Well, to believe in the name of Jesus involves acknowledging he is who he claimed to be. Jesus is who he claimed to be. And then surrendering, surrendering your life to him in total commitment and total obedience. And what it, that's what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus, which means that we can't cherry pick. We can't say, you know, I, I believe some of what you said, but not other, other bits of what you said, Lord. We can't say, yeah, Jesus, I want you as my saviour. I want you to be my saviour, but I don't want you to be my, my Lord. You know, Jesus Christ is saviour and Lord. He's in charge. So to follow him is to obey him. So, for example, we can't say, yeah, I'm a Christian, um, but I don't need to go to church. Because God's word encourages us, tells us to not give up meeting together. To encourage each other when we do so. We can't say, I'm, I'm a Christian, but that bit, Lord, on, on addressing anger, you know, that bit on, on lust, that bit on, on coveting, you know, that, that, that bit doesn't apply to me. I can, I can carry on with that. We are either living by faith or we're not. We're either loving each other or we're not. There is no halfway house here. And then I love how John moves us from this focus on ourselves, if you like, to, fo- to refocus back on our Trinitarian God in these final verses. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now get a mention as he comes to these last couple of verses. See, ultimately, lasting assurance of our salvation comes from God. Yeah, we know assurance by what we do, what we do in love, and we know it by the access that we have. But John reminds us that the only reason we're willing The only reason that we are able to abide in God is because he abides in us. By works, by good intentions, by regular Sunday attendance at church. No. Christ abides in us by faith alone. And as Hebrews reminds us, without faith, Without belief, it is impossible to please God. So this is how John can write verse 24 when he says this, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. This is the spiritual reality that fuels obedience. Christ in us. Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. And this is how we know, John continues, that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Oh, how we thank God for his spirit. How we thank God for his Holy Spirit. It is he, the Holy Spirit, who produces the assurance and confidence. It is he, the Holy Spirit, who emboldens us to confess Jesus to those who we live amongst. It is he, the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to live righteously, to live obedient lives, to live tracking in that direction towards God and not away from him, towards eternity. And here's a wonderful thing in all of this, that at the end of the day, true assurance, if you like, is both objective and it is subjective. Objectively, what we do and and, and how we live differently provides, provides us with tangible evidence that should give us confidence. We see that. 
This is what we were thinking about last week. But subjectively, the Spirit was given to us in many different ways. And that unique imparting of the Spirit should give us confident assurance too. So for me, that uh, initial commitment and receiving of the Holy Spirit came when I was a young lad. I was, I was with my parents. Uh, I was sat on the toilet in the bathroom of the house I grew up with in North London. Not literally, the toilet seat was down, just in case you're getting the wrong idea there. We'd been to a Christian event. I came back. I wanted to give my life to the Lord. I sat there, emotional, with my parents. And I confessed my sins to God and I was flooded with a sense of peace. To use the language of one John, my heart was at rest. It was reassured. It was persuaded, if you like, by the Spirit. And I was able to enter into his presence in a way impossible before. I didn't understand it fully then. I don't understand it fully now. It's called faith for a reason. But I know I belong to the truth. And I know that he lives in me. I know that he prompts me to love others. I know that he is teaching me truth through his word. I know he is convicting me of sin. Often. Often. And I know that he is comforting me through time of trial. What about you? Do you know that you belong to the truth? Is your heart at rest in his presence? Will it be more, oh no, not again? Or will it be, oh yes? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning grateful and confident in the access that you have provided for us through your Son. Please would you reassure our hearts that you are greater. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for this access. We thank you for the confidence that you will answer us. And we ask that you would help us now to keep believing, to keep trusting in the name of Jesus. Help us to keep loving each other for your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen.